This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. There are good reasons to assume that our consciousness does not always coincide with the functioning of our brain. Enhanced consciousness can sometimes be experienced separately from the body. Dr. Pim Van Lommel has come to the inevitable conclusion that most likely the brain must have a facilitating and not a producing function to experience consciousness. By making a scientific case for consciousness as a non-local and thus ubiquitous phenomenon, we must question a purely materialist paradigm in science. Moreover, recent research on NDE seems to be a source of new insights into the possibility of a continuity of our consciousness after physical death. Valeria interviews Dr. Pim Van Lommel, the author of Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience. Dr. Pim Van Lommel was born in 1943, graduated in 1971 at the University of Utrecht, and finished his specialization in cardiology in 1976. He worked from 1977 to 2003 as a cardiologist in Hospital Rindstate, a 800-beds teaching hospital in Arnhem, the Netherlands, and is now doing full-time research on the mind-brain relation. He published several articles on cardiology, but since he started his research on near-death experiences, NDE, in survivors of cardiac arrest in 1986, he is the author of over 20 articles, most of them in Dutch, one book and many chapters about NDE. In 2005, he was granted with the Dr. Bruce Grayson Research Award of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, IANDS. In 2006, the President of India rewarded him the Lifetime Achievement Award at the World Congress on Clinical and Preventative Cardiology in New Delhi. His Dutch book, Endless Consciousness, was nominated for the Book of the Year 2008 in the Netherlands. In 2010, he received the 2010 Book Award Van de Scientific and Medical Network, and in 2017, he received the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Award by the Dutch Society of Volunteers in Palliative and Terminal Care, VPTZ. In November 2007, his book Endless Consciousness, Endeloos Bewusten, was published in the Netherlands 
which is a bestseller with more than 150,000 copies sold, 25th edition. His book was published in Germany in 2009, already the 10th edition, and it has been published in the English language by HarperCollins in 2010, entitled Consciousness Beyond Life. The Science of the Near-Death Experience in 2011, the Polish edition was published, the Spanish translation was published in March 2012, and in May 2012, his book was published in France. In December 2015, the book was also published in Latvia. In January 2017, the book was published in Italy, and in February 2019, the book was published in Hungary. In 2020, the book will also be published in China and in Russia. To read more about Dr. Pim and his work, please visit his websites at pimvanlomel.nl/en and consciousnessbeyondlife.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Pim Van Lomel. In your own words, who is Dr. Pen Van Lono? I'm a Dutch cardiologist. I was born in 1943, and I finished my specialization in cardiology in 1976. But the first time I heard some patients after CPR resuscitation being very disappointed that he came back after CPR it was in 1969, a long time ago. I was working in an 800-bed teaching hospital in Arnhem in the Netherlands. Yeah, your work is very interesting to me, and I'm sure to a lot of people out there. So I have a lot of questions for you. I know you have written some books on the subject, Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience, and also another title, Endless Consciousness. Well, that's the Dutch title translated to English. So the, the same book is in the English language, Consciousness Beyond Life. Thank you for the correction. Before we dive into that, although I do have some questions for you here within the warm-up questions, I'll be asking these first open questions. The first one is, what does it mean to be a human being to you? Well, that's unexpected where we start to talk about near-death experiences. But uh, being a human being is being able to experience life in this body on this earth and make to learn and to enjoy nature and love society and try to change a little bit in the world as well as in science. What is life to you? Well, there's no definition of life. And we don't know what the origin of life is. Science cannot explain anything about the origin of life. But life, for me, is being conscious in this world, in this body. And it is also the same for animals and plants, and perhaps even for the planet Earth, which is alive as well. And life is always a combination with some subjectivity, some, some kind of subjective consciousness as well. What do you think is the opposite of life? Is there such a thing? No, no because death is not the opposite of life. So uh, life is, for me, a biological system. And when the body stops functioning, it's what we call death or physical death. 
but there is continuity of consciousness. So there, there there's never will be an end to consciousness, nor will there be any beginning of consciousness as well. So I wonder what the experience in the human body is all about. Is there a purpose for this specific experience? I don't know if the word purpose is correct. I think it's an opportunity to be aware of things and to learn from things and from your life, from your environment, from your family and friends. So it's an opportunity to learn and to become a little bit more wiser. I also wonder who gave us this opportunity? We gave it to ourselves or that was given by the universe or consciousness itself? Well, the question is, is universe the same as consciousness? And uh, I think for me, consciousness is the higher level of consciousness, which you can call universal consciousness or divine consciousness. Uh, it's the highest form of consciousness that other people perhaps will call God. But it is the, the basis and the origin of everything. Consciousness is the base of everything. So consciousness for me is primary and fundamental in the universe. And everything comes from consciousness. So the opportunity you spoke of being here in the human body and to experience and to learn, as you put it, it's given by consciousness itself. Yes. yes. Consciousness is the essence of who we are. Do you differ consciousness and mind? Are they the same thing or somehow different? Well, the problem is with words like mind or soul or spirit. There's so many interpretations of those words that I never use them. I just talk about consciousness and different levels of consciousness. So I never talk about mind or soul or spirit. So consciousness is not localized? No. No, that's what I call the non-local consciousness, because consciousness is beyond time and beyond space. It's always there. It has no beginning. It has no end. Everything is there. So I can explain it based on the research we did on near-death experience and survival of cardiac arrest, but we come to that later. Did you have some ideas about what life, this experience was all about before your researches and your experiments? It, it, it just started for me in 1986 when I read a book about near-death experiences entitled Return from Tomorrow from George Ritchie, who as a medical student in 1943 died of double pneumonia and he didn't get any antibiotics because they were not available. So he died and was body was covered with a sheet and the nurse was there so upset that his medical student died that he persuaded the doctor to give him an adrenaline injection right into his heart and he came back after nine minutes and had a very extensive near-death experience. And that for me, this book was to start to ask patients who had survived a cardiac arrest if they had memories from the period of unconsciousness. And then within two years out of 50 patients, 12 shared their MD with me. And that was for me the moment for scientific curiosity, because I had always learned in university, medical school, that consciousness is a product of brain function. And when there's a cardiac arrest, there is no circulation, no brain function, no breathing. So it should be impossible. So for me, that's the question of scientific curiosity. These levels of consciousness, isn't it just one thing, but being experienced in, in different ways? from different forms, life forms, or even non-body forms? 
No, let's say what we experience now at this moment, what you experience and I experience is waking consciousness. That is, when we are awake, we have consciousness, awareness, cognition, etc., memories. But when you're out of your body during a near-death experience, then you have an enhanced consciousness, whether future events and past memories are there available in meeting with disease relatives. So it, it's much more, more extended with cognition, etc., than when we have normally in our waking consciousness when we are awake. So in a way, it's very limited, the awakened experience of consciousness. Yes. You could say that, that the brain is not just a facilitator or interface, but also a kind of filter. So when the filter fails, when you have cardiac arrest, then you have access to much more consciousness than, than we normally have. Um, if I can relate that to spirituality, it would be perhaps the ego mind that gets in the way, the ideas and concepts of what life is. Yeah, the, the waking consciousness and ego is an aspect of your waking consciousness. And when your waking consciousness has gone, and in, let's say it's part of this enhanced consciousness, then the ego doesn't play any role anymore. It's much more extended. You're feeling one with everything. Still have a kind of personality, but you still are one with everything. Now I understand why some people choose to use psychedelics or some form of um, drugs just to be in that state of freedom, um, let's say. Well, I don't know. I never used them. I never had the need to use them. I think when you are open for these kind of experiences, when you meet patients with a near-death experience, and I've met hundreds of thousands of them, then you don't need your own experience because you can resonate with them, you can feel with them, what they feel. So you don't need to have this kind of experience by using LSD or DMT or psilocybin, etc. But it, it, it's possible. Ayahuasca, people use it as well, or ketamine as well. But it is not exactly the same as the death. It, uh, these kind of experiences are more NDE-like experience than real NDEs. But sometimes, even for me, it's the main thing is that when they have this kind of experience with transformation, then it is a real deep experience of enhanced consciousness. But a lot of people who use drugs don't have this kind of experiences. Right. Also, it's a different experience. Yes. And I also have frightening experience, hallucination, etc. So you don't, can ask for it. You're saying, based on your own experience, that it's possible to understand what consciousness is and then also experience this expansion of consciousness in a waking state without the near-death experience. When you're open, when you can listen without prejudice, without comments, then you can share, people can share it with you. There was one study done by Ken Ring, a psychology professor who wrote several books about the death experience, and he gave a course of three months for his uh, psychology students. And, the f and he had an inquiry form in the first day, and after three months, when they had met people with the near death, have written books or read books, had written some articles about it. And then after three months, the same inquiry came and they all had changed. So you will change because when you're open, you have more, let's say, a deeper insight in what it really is. I love that kind of practice, which I call a practice in the awakened state. If we are not open, we are easily taken by the ego 
mine and just live in a limited way. Well, most, most neuroscientists and other academics, uh, medical, physicians, etc., are not open at all. So they miss the oppor- this opportunity. What is your understanding of freedom? Well, the, the question is, do we have free will or not? And the most neuroscientists don't believe in it. I believe that there is kind of free will and there is some kind of freedom. But it is always in this body, it's limited. But out of your body, then there's really, really freedom as well. So you believe in free will. So we do have choices. Oh, yes, I'm quite sure. Or perhaps I can add it, it's on, on this level, on planet Earth, there's free will. But at a higher level, things are already fixed. Let's say when you have prognostic dreams or future events flash forwards during the death experience, you can see events which happen after three or four years, or when you can see somebody and you know he will die in, in four weeks and he will die in four weeks. That means that something already in the higher levels is fixed as well. So it's both true. It's, it's both true. Free will here, but something is fixed at a higher level. How do we practice being open on a daily basis? Have you found any practices that are highly useful and helpful? For me personally, for me personally, it's silence, it's nature. Mm, silence in nature. So each day I'm at least, at least one hour in nature always. And in our house, there is no music anymore. And the garden is always silent. So I love silence in nature. And then you are connected with the birds, with the trees, with the plants, etc. You quote William James, the American philosopher and psychologist. You say, to study the abnormal is the best way of understanding the normal. Yeah. So I guess my question is, what is normal, meaning what is real? Well, they're both they're two different questions. But the quote from William James is based on the study we did about near-death experiences. As I told you before, when you meet so many people who had a cardiac arrest and have memories from the period of unconsciousness with cognition, with perception out and above the lifeless body, with meeting deceased relatives, with being, meeting the light, being, feeling uh, unconditional love and acceptance, and seeing the past and the future. And all this kind of experience cannot happen according to current medical science, because people, scientists, physicians, philosophers still believe that consciousness is a product of brain function. So when you study these kind of experiences, which are not possible in our current materialistic, materialist paradigm, then you, then you find out that what we think is normal is different than what we thought before. So we thought before consciousness is a product of brain function, but now I know for sure that the brain has just an interface function, it's a facilitating function, like like the, the your computer. And the consciousness can be compared with the iCloud. It's one billion websites, but you just re- receive some websites where you put on your computer. But when your computer is off, all these one billion websites are always there, going through your room, through your body, etc. So the information is there, but you need a functioning instrument to receive it. The brain is a functioning instrument, like the body as well. So that's mm-hmm. so that's the different approach, because of studying the abnormal. Then we know what normal is. 
What is real to you? Well, the reality is based on our own state of consciousness. So reality is subjective. Where we are in love, the world is beautiful. Where we are depressed, the world is awful. Where we are terrified because the press and the politicians, then the world is full of terror. So this subjective experience of reality is based on our state of consciousness. There's no real objective reality at all. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? It's love. It's less difference in income from the privileged 1% or 10% and the 90% of the rest of the world. So we have to share everything. And the big question is how we can we save the planet. So that means to create a more beneficial, let's say, a more pleasant reality, we've got to yeah, have access to that enhanced consciousness you speak of. You cannot change the world. You cannot change your own consciousness and change the way you live. You can be an example for other people, but you cannot change another person. Um, so I, I'm going to ask you this question. What is love to you, Dr. Pam? You have very simple questions. <laughs> <laughs> love is kind of unconditional acceptance of other people without any prejudice. So would that be unconditional love? You just spoke of that. Yes. Do you believe in the practice of unconditional self-love? It is very important because one of the lessons people have when they have it in their death experiences, the first thing they learn is that you have to be have unconditional love and compassion and empathy towards yourself and to accept all the negative aspects you have and everybody has and then start to accept and have compassion and, and empathy and unconditional love towards others. But it starts with loving yourself. What is your understanding and idea of the word peace? It's not struggling, but also it's the same thing as, as love. It's to accept others or try to be better than others, and never use violence, never. But peace is also a state of mind, a state of consciousness. Do you ever use the word God? No, I, I can use it, but I never use it, I, because God is also an idea for a lot of people, and they have... So when I say Allah or God or Buddha or Brahman, it doesn't matter at all for me. It, it's the highest form of consciousness. You may call it God as well. Do you... Considered to be someone who practices um, spirituality? I don't know what your definition of spirituality is. So what is spirituality <laughs> to you? <laughs> It's the search for you know, wisdom by daily practice. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Uh, religion is the, the Latin word of reconnect. And reconnect is reconnect with, with the higher dimensions of consciousness. So religion... It does not mean the church, the man-made power institution of the church. It means, religion means for me, we connect with the higher dimension of consciousness. Are they different to the practice of spirituality as this, the practice of wisdom, really, that you mentioned? Is that similar to being a religious person? For most people, not, but it's changing as well. Let's say in the Netherlands, the churches are getting more and more, and more empty. That people are still religious, but they don't mean the institution. And then you can call it spirituality as well. And people at the death experience are all very interested in spirituality. 
that they had a near-death experience. And they are religious people, but they don't go to church. Because what they tell me, they, they don't believe anymore. They know. What else would that be? Wisdom, the practice of wisdom. Well, it's, it's perhaps hard to put it into words. Like many things, it's hard to put it into words and give it definitions. So, uh, wisdom is much more than knowledge. Wisdom is a kind of insight in what everything is based on and which is the higher form of consciousness. Wisdom is not the same as knowledge, not the same as facts. But wisdom is the inner knowing how the higher dimension of consciousness function. Yeah. So what would be other manifestations of the higher consciousness? You, know, you can do it by meditation. You can do it by um, mindfulness training. You can do it by just being in nature. You can do it by reading books about you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever. There are a lot of many possibilities to, to try to find it. And everybody has his own way of trying to find it. What do you think are the biggest obstacles for most of us accessing that wisdom, that inner knowing, that higher consciousness? Well, we didn't discuss until now anything about the near-death experience study we did. Uh, anything about transformation. So your question is also based on the information we have. We did a prospective study on the death experience, and we did a, a longitudinal study as well about transformation. And all the patients who had the death experience had a transformation. First of all, they didn't have any fear of death anymore. And secondly, they're quite sure there is death is not the end. And they have an enhanced intuition. And enhanced intuition is that they have access to the uh, enhanced consciousness as well. So the, the filter function of the brain and the body has permanently changed. So they don't receive just channel one, their own consciousness, but channel two, three, or four, or five for other people as well. So they know what other people think and feel. They know future events. And so they changed basically, and they have also healing capacities as well. So they're kind of, uh, the filter function is also receiving the divine healing energy, etc. So they change, the body and, and brain change because they can receive much more information from their enhanced consciousness or divine consciousness. Oh, wow. You call it the filter. That's an interesting word, the way you say it. So... It is the change of that filter or is the actually absence, the removal of the filter that makes us more open and intuitive? The filter is more open. What William James called the threshold of consciousness has changed. So there is actually evidence in the brain itself when that happens. Not only in the brain, but in your whole body and in each cell as well. So the interface, not just in your brain, but also in your heart, your body in each cell. I'd write to him a book about the function of DNA. In each cell, the DNA has the interface function as well. Most people connect the mind consciousness to the brain, but you're saying that's actually the entire body. So, but the brain is an important aspect of receiving aspects of consciousness. The heart has receiving aspects. Also, the, the, the stomach or 
somewhere in the in, in the in the abdomen are, are receptors, but everywhere in the body are receptors, interface fields, and in each cell, in each organ has interface fields. And we know it from from a heart transplant or heart organ transplantation that people can change in their ideas and feelings, because when you get an a living organ, it has to be a living organ, living heart or lungs or liver from another person, then this organ still functions as a receptor, as an interface from the consciousness of the deceased donor. So it changed you as, as a body, as, as a whole person as well. Yeah, how did the experience of knowing what we are and what life is all about, how did that change your life? Well, it changed a lot. I, I was I started as a cardiologist, just interested in the techniques and helping people. And later, you saw that the importance of just having time, taking time for patients, having empathy for them, and talk with them. And so it changed my practice as well. And it changed me as a person as well. So we, we have different food. We For the last 25 years, we have biologic dynamic food. Uh, we don't waste water and electricity, etc. So we are very aware that we be careful, must be careful for the planet as well. How did you become a writer, Dr. Pem? I'm not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so again, <laughs> when we stopped in 1988, our prospective study in theater, 44 consecutive survivors of cardiac arrest in the 10 Dutch hospitals, which was a study that took four years without any funding. And then an interview over two and eight years after this cardiac arrest with all patients who survived with an NDE and a match control group of patients without an NDE with, with, with survived cardiac arrest to see the, about the transformation. This study was published in The Lancet, the famous medical journal in uh, December 2001, and that gave a worldwide story. It was on front pages of all papers in the world. And it started with a lot of giving interviews, giving lectures. I wrote some more articles, and everybody asked me to write a book. So at last, I decided to write a book in 2007 in the Netherlands, which was the bestseller, and it's now in the 25th edition in the Netherlands. And it has been translated into nine languages. All over the world, so more than 300,000 copies have been sold. Now we're also in China, Russia, but France, Germany, Italy, Spain, whatever, any countries as well. So I'm not an author, but I was asked for it, and I wrote my book, and it has been translated, and I still lecture all over the world. Because it's funny how I interview a lot of people, especially on spirituality, and sometimes I get some scientists, and they tell me that um, most of the information I have or interviewees, um, it's not scientifically based about unconditional love and these higher levels of consciousness. So I really thank you for being part of this work. Yes, well, because the most important thing we found out in our prospective study, so when there's cardiac arrest, there's no brain function left. So the clinical findings, no body reflexes, no brain stem reflexes, no breathing. And then at that very moment, people have, a, have an enhanced consciousness with cognition and perception out of the above their life of the body. And the EEG flatlines within 10 to 20 seconds. So there's no activity in the brain at all. And then they have people have this enhanced consciousness. This proves that consciousness is not a product of brain function. We could prove it. 
by our prospective study. So that's a very important. So there's no physiological, psychological, or demographic explanation, nor giving drugs, etc. It's just without any current scientific explanation why some people have this near-death experience. But this other study was about 18% of the survivors of cardiac arrest. And we could prove that there is no explanation why they have it. And we could, could see in, a, in, the, in the longitudinal study that transformation is the objective proof of this subjective experience. Because they all were changed when they had an NDE. So you cannot prove the subjective experience because in a current science, we cannot objectify, we cannot prove, we cannot measure our subjective consciousness. We cannot measure or prove what you think or feel. So consciousness is beyond our current materialist science. So we have to change science and expand science to include subjective experiences. So the near-death experience... What was the longest uh, period of time before the subject or the person came back to life, per se? Well, in our study, it didn't matter at all if they had, they had a cardiac rest of two minutes or eight minutes. It didn't matter at all if they had a near-death experience or not. And also the duration of unconsciousness, five minutes or three weeks ago, it didn't matter at all. So the duration of anoxia, in the brain, lack of oxygen in the brain, didn't matter at all if people had an NDE or not. So it doesn't matter at all. You can also have the death experience, and in the like experiences, in fear of death, an imminent traffic accident, or loss of blood, in complicated childbirth, of, or traffic accident with coma. But also in, in the end of life experiences, when you have in the deathbed, the terminal phase of of, of your life, you can have these kind of experiences, what you call end-of-life experience. Also the same enhanced consciousness, but also meditation or isolation or, or severe depression, you can have the same kind of experiences. So you don't need a non-functioning brain, but for science, it is important that we could prove that these kind of experiences happen when the brain does not function. So after all these evidences of consciousness, that consciousness cannot be measured I am still wondering here why there are so much resistance to the studies or the understanding of this huge part of us, of what the human experience is. Well, science is frightened. The neuroscientists and the physicians are frightened. But what they have said and learned and given lessons to medical students and other people, philosophers as well, they have to get rid of this old idea and they are frightened to do so because the research money is gone, the position in the university is gone. So I know quite a lot of professors who have a private opinion that it could be true, but an official opinion is it's total nonsense until they retire. And then they openly said, well, it could be true as well. So it's, they're frightened. We know that their fear is just one of the biggest obstacles yet. Yes, they could definitely love us letting go of fear. Induced cardiac arrest. What is that? Induced cardiac arrest is that you give in a a cardiac arrest. Let's say when you do rhythm disturbances in the cath lab, they induce cardiac arrest to study the origin of these rhythm disturbances. And also you do threshold testing in ICDs, internal cardioverbal, cardioverbal defibrillators. When you do threshold testing, you have to induce cardiac arrest to see if this ICD really good functions. I mean, they have also done 
this kind of tests in, in, in animals. What we found when the, these studies were done in a used cardiac arrest with EEG, that you see the EEG flatlines within 10 to 20 seconds. And in animals, you see also the deeper structures of the brain stop functioning. Is that harmful to the people who are... No, it, it is where you do it in bare electric shock. In, in the cath lab, you bring them back within 20 or 30 seconds. There's no problem. So it's safe. It, it's not like the film Flatline. That's something else. That's, that's Hollywood. I have a few final questions for you. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage from one of your books? No, I don't want to. But I can tell perhaps one story. One of the most important things is like the, the corroboration of theoretical perceptions during out-of-body experiences. When people are flatlined with cardiac arrest, they can sometimes tell what happened. And one of the stories which was published in the Lancet article and also in my book is that a 44-year-old man was brought to a hospital. He was found in coma, unconscious, about 30 minutes before uh, in a meadow. And people started to do some resuscitation, but not really good. When he was brought into a hospital, the coronary care unit, uh, he was, his body was cold already, blue. He had no blood pressure. His pupils didn't react to light. was no breathing, so no circulation, nothing. And the first thing the nurse wanted to do is to give him more oxygen, so to intubate the patient, they gave something to give him more oxygen. And they found out that this patient had dentures in his mouth, so he took out the dentures and put it on the crash card. And he needed another one and a half hour before blood pressure circulation had been restored, but he was still deep in coma and he needed artificial respiration, so they transferred him to the intensive care unit for one week in coma to give him artificial trans uh, respiration. And then after one week, he was brought back on the cardiac ward. And as soon as he was there, the nurse came in, and he saw the nurse, he said, you were the one who took out my dentures. And he could tell the nurse that where he put it on the crash card, somewhere in the sliding place, somewhere in this crash card, he could describe the resuscitation room where he was brought in coma and take out in coma. He could describe the person, the doctors and nurses who were busy with his CPR. Everything he had seen from above. So this, it was a proof that what he had seen really had happened as well. And that's very important to know that it is possible to have critical perception for the position out and above your lifeless body when the body doesn't function at all. Uh, that's an evidence for continuation of the mind, of consciousness. and I, I just call it the continuity of consciousness, not the, con the continuity of consciousness. So what is that experience about? We have the enhanced consciousness, we access that, but we still believe that we are separate from the rest of the universe. No, when you have the experience of enhanced when you are in the higher dimension, usually the being of light, the meeting disease relatives and having the life review or preview and you are one with everything and everybody. You're one with the universe. You have access to universal wisdom and you're back in your body, you forgot it. You can be traveling throughout the universe uh, without any time loss. So everything happens at the same time, without space, without time. And that's the, it's, so you, near death experience, you can also call an experience of unity or an experience of oneness, which is non-dual. Why did you choose to become a cardiologist? Because when I started the cardiology, 
we usually don't know it anymore, but when I was a medical student in the 60s, early 60s, cardiology was valve disease and congenital heart disease. And the first coronary arteries were filmed in 67 in the US and in 69 in the Netherlands. The first bypass surgery was in 71. So, and, and the first coronary cannula started in 68. So resuscitation was just becoming possible with defibrillation and external chest compression. So it was a very dynamic start of a new speciality. So we had a, the cath lab, we had pacemakers, we had the echocardiography, we had a, the, the, the PTCA, we had the stents. We, so we, and there was only one medica, medication when I started my study. And now it is so many medications as well. So we had the, prever, the, the possibility to be, to be part of this enormous new cardiology, the new uh, specialization in, in medicine. Final questions coming up. Would you like to add anything, Dr. Ben? No, I think we can talk for hours, so maybe we will <laughs> do it. And we have we also mentioned quite a lot. I think one of the things is that not only our Dutch study, but also two studies done about survival of cardiac arrest in, 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 in the UK and one in the USA, and about now a total of 562 survivors of cardiac arrest, they had the same kind of conclusion. There is no physiological or psychological explanation why people can have this kind of enhanced consciousness because we know that all structures of the brain don't function at all at this very moment. So it's, it, it's, it's a huge change in ideas about what we call the mind-brain relationship or relationship between consciousness and the brain and the body. So we have a total new idea. I think we need a paradigm shift in science to the all-inclusive science and, and books being written now about post-materialist science and beyond physicalism, etc. So we, the science will change to include subjective experiences and to include also the spirituality. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life itself in a human body? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it must be one hardest lesson. <laughs> one, yeah, right. Perhaps a lot of smaller lessons as well. I cannot give one special, very hard lesson. Yeah. I learn a lot each day. What is another word for healing? I think it's a beautiful word. Uh, healing is getting more one. And one of the interesting things about also non-local consciousness is the non-local healing, so healing on a distance. We can, that has been proven that when there is an intention of healing at a distance, you can see changes in the EEG as well in the receptor. So we can prove also by, by fMRI studies and PETs, especially fMRI studies and EEG studies, that you can influence a person with the healing intention from thousands of miles. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No. And my last question, what are three things about this relative reality you know for sure as of now? I don't know for sure for life. Well, yeah, death, life. Death, is, death is not the end. Love is important. And self-love as well. And the planet Earth is so important to survive uh, human beings on this Earth. 
Thank you so much for your profound spiritual and scientific wisdom. You're welcome. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Our website, www.pimvalobal.nl or www.consciousnessbeyondlife.com. Wonderful. Consciousnessbeyondlife.com or pimvalobal.nl. And, and, and my website is in Dutch, in English, and in German. So you can find the scientific articles, you can find... Uh, I thought I, I, I sent, have sent you some links to interviews and to articles as well. So you must have this information. I'll have the links on your podcast profile page as well. Thank you so much again, Dr. Pam, and we'll talk soon. You're, well, you're welcome. Yeah. Bye for now. Success with your uh, all your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Pim Van Lommel, please visit his websites, pimvanlommel.nl slash en and consciousnessbeyondlife.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.